morning. It's good to be here this day, and it's a privilege to bring you God's word. Happy Mother's Day to mothers here. And um, we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Thessalonians 12. I added one more verse. So we're going to be looking at chapter 2, 1 through 13. And you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. But while you're turning, I ask you to do a little thought experiment with me. I'd like you to imagine that you are a Pharisee in the first century AD. You're a Jewish Pharisee, you're a religious leader, and you love doing your religious activities in public. You love praying out loud, you love the looks that people give you, you love the praise of men. And you know what? Things are going so well for you, you are on top of your game. That is until a man from Galilee comes into town. How dare this man come into town and steal the hearts of your followers? They used to, uh, just every word that you said, they were, they were just hungry for it. Now they're running after this son of a carpenter. Who is Jesus anyway? What are you going to do about him? So you talk with some of your Pharisee friends and you come up with a great idea. You're going to test him with some questions. And these are, trick, these are trick questions. These are questions that no one can answer. And whatever he says, he's going to alienate half of the group. He answers one way, this crowd's going to be mad. He answers another, the other crowd's going to be mad. This is going to be great. So you send a spy into his midst. I wanted to read from God's word how this went down. First, he starts off with flattery. He says to Jesus, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, but you are not, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. And then he asked, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And you think you have him right where you want him. But here's how he responds. Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a coin. Let me look at it. And after they brought him one, he said, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They respond, Caesar. Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Well, now you're really frustrated. What are you going to do now? Well, you step up your game and you start a smear campaign. Everything under the sun, you throw at him. You call him a demon. Whenever he parties, and when he goes to banquets, you call him a glutton and a drunkard. When he heals on the Sabbath, you call him a lawbreaker. When he casts out demons, you say he only did it by the power of Satan. You are determined to rub his name into the mud. And you know what? You are wildly successful. Sure, the crowds did cry out, Hosanna to the king, to the son of David on Palm Sunday. But that same crowd yelled out, crucify him on Good Friday. You see, the defamation of one's character is a very serious thing. 
It's used to try to undermine people's ministry. That obviously didn't work in the case of Jesus, but in our passage, we're going to hear people doing the exact same thing, trying to undermine Paul and his ministry. How does he respond? How do you have those kinds of mud thrown at you? What should you say? What should you do? And how do we in the 21st century hear that response? How does that affect our Christian life? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So I invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 if you haven't already. But first, let's pray. Oh God, we long to hear you this morning. We pray that you would bless the, the reading and the preaching of your word. We pray that your people would be built up, challenged, convicted, encouraged. Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work in the hearts of your people for their benefit, but also for the glory of your name. Lord, we cannot do this apart from your grace. So help us, we pray. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen. I'd ask you all to give your special attention to the reading of God's word. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word given to us that we might know the living and true God and grow closer to him beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in, at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor, and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, whom he calls, who, who calls you into his, his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, 
that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I had a, a older gentleman come up to me after the service, and uh, he thanked me for the service, but he, he gave me uh, a bit of a correction. He said, I'm going to be talking about ministry, and he said, I, I think you would do well to define ministry. I appreciated his critique. He said, you know, with vocational ministry, people can often think, you know, you only really do ministry if that's your job. And uh, that may be part of the culture, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that people who do ministry for their vocation is ministry, but it's also ministry whenever you serve uh, other people in the nursery or um, you name it. Whenever you are serving God's people in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are serving the Lord. And so that's the ministry I'm going to be talking about, not just vocational ministry. For my outline this morning, I'm indebted to a pastor by the name of Richard Phillips. I am not clever enough to come up with this many M's in my outline, so hopefully you'll, um, I'm thankful to him, I'm I'm stealing his hard work of crafting these M words. But I have three points this morning. First, we're going to look at the message of ministry, the message of ministry. Then the motivation of ministry, the motivation of ministry, and lastly, the manner of ministry, the manner of ministry. So pretty simple, the message, the motivation, and the manner of ministry. Let's go ahead and dive in with our first point, the message of ministry. Hope you still have your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at it a lot this morning. Look again with me at verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. You see, these were some of the accusations that were being thrown at Paul. Sure, he's appealing to you, but it's full of errors. It's full of impurity, and really he's just looking to deceive you. My question this morning is, were they right? How do we know? How do we know that the Apostle Paul was not trying to deceive you? How do you know that I'm not trying to deceive you right now? Well, my answer this morning is the Word of God. The Word of God. Look at verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You see, the Apostle Paul did not come delivering a message that he made up. He did not come delivering a message from men, but he came preaching the gospel with the foundation of God's word. That's how we know it can be trustworthy, because men will fail you. Men will deceive you, but God's word never will. 
It is the sure guide, the true compass, the light, the lamp that lights your path. This was the message of God, of the, the message of Paul's ministry. That is the gospel with the foundation of God's word. And that's how we know that it was not full of error, impure, looking to deceive. But there is one other possibility. Maybe I'm not trying to actively deceive you. But what if uh, I just don't understand the passage that well? Right? I mean, it's kind of like giving all your money to an investor. And then all the money goes away. Well, if he did that through corruption, he stole it, or through sheer incompetence, at the end of the day, you still don't have your money. How do we know that we can trust the preaching of God's word? How do you know that I'm not misleading you? Not through malice, but through incompetence. How do you know week in, week out that Matt is not leading you astray? Well, my answer is the same as before, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God. UPC, we need to be students of God's Word. We need to love God's Word and know it better than we know any other book, better than we know anyone else, because it's how we discern truth. Now, I want to be careful here. We are to submit under the preaching of God's word. This, this is a gift God gives to his church. We're not to be highly critical and nitpicky. But we are to listen with a careful ear. We're to judge and say, is, is that really what God's word is saying in this passage? How does that square with other passages of scripture? We're to be active listeners. And we're to do so with discernment. Like a miner in a gold mine, we are to be able to find out what is the true gold versus the fool's gold. We're to be able to dis distinguish between what is genuine and what only appears genuine. That was the message of the Apostle Paul, and it's how we will be effective messengers for Jesus Christ. Our ministry must be founded upon God's word. And that can only happen if we know God's word. Oh, church, love God's word. Cry out to him and ask God to help you love it more. Read it more. And may it equip you to better give the message of your ministry. Point number two this morning. The motivation of ministry. Motivation of ministry. Look at verses 4 through 6 again. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, just as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or 
from others. I wonder what is your greatest motivation? Or in other words, why do you do the things that you do? I think that's a crucial question that I think too much of us, including me, don't ask of ourselves as much as we should. Why do we do the things that we do? Because the truth is, it's so easy to go into autopilot and not know really why it is that we're doing what we're doing. I'll give you an example. In college, not in college, in high school, I was a slave to man's opinion of me. It completely dictated my life. What I did, what I didn't do, I was posturing. What will they think of me if I say this? What will they think of me if I do that? I didn't realize it. If you had told me, I would have told you you were crazy. But the truth is, is my motivation was, was hidden from me. And so I ask you this morning, why do you do the things that you do? Well, I love the example we have before us in Scripture here. Apostle Paul um, didn't do it for greed. He didn't come with flattery. He didn't seek glory from people. He didn't want to please man. He wanted to please God. He wanted to please God. And, and that's what you're called to do, but I, I'm going to give you a warning. If you... Um, if you make God your highest priority, which I hope you do, it's what you're called to do, to be faithful to him. But I, the warning is watch out because God's going to call you to do some things you don't want to do. He's going to call you to do some things that are going to make you very uncomfortable. In college, I volunteered back at my old church, my old youth group. And there was a young man in high school, I'll call him Tom, and Tom was a very gifted young man. He was a leader. People followed him. He had a lot of gifts, and yet his arrogance was off the charts. And the leadership of the youth group knew about this, and we wanted to love him and correct him, and we were trying to think about the best way of doing this. And it happened that I had the closest relationship with him. So I said I would talk to him. And, and to this day, that was probably the hardest conversation I've ever had in my life. Not because I haven't had more difficult conversations since then, but I was so young, so immature, I, I hated conflict. I, I avoided it like the plague. But I had to answer the question, who am I going to please more, God or man? Am I going to please God or am I going to make my life more comfortable? And by God's grace, he allowed me to have that conversation with the humility that I could muster up, the, the grace, the compassion that God gave me for this young man. I, I told him, I said, Tom, I do not think that you are spiritually mature as you think you are. I 
And Tom, if you want to be used by the Lord like I think you do, I don't think that's going to happen until you humble yourself before the Lord. Well, surprise, surprise, he didn't like that very much. But he told me later that that was actually an instrumental time in his life where the Lord used it to change the direction of his life. Praise God. I went kicking and screaming a little bit. But that's what's going to happen is God is going to call you to do things that are hard, things that you don't want to do. But I have to address a, a small section of people in this room because some people hear that story and they're like, I could do that in my sleep. I don't mind calling people out. Well, my encouragement to you this morning is if an admonishment or a rebuke is easy, you're probably not doing it right. There is a level of humility, a level of gentleness that is needed. You need to be careful how you go about correcting others. But there's another group in this room don't know what the numbers break down to, but some of you rarely, if ever, admonish or rebuke anyone. And it's not because you don't have people in your life who need to hear that admonishment or rebuke, and that's, it's because you're scared to death. So my question this morning is, what's your motivation? Are you seeking the Lord above all things? Now, to be sure, wisdom's needed. When do I do that? How do I do that? There, there's a lot there. But if God is calling you to that, will you be faithful? Will you make that your highest motivation? The Apostle Paul did. Obviously, Jesus Christ did. Will you follow in, your, in their footsteps? Will God in his glory be your motivation for your ministry? By God's grace, may it be so. Third point this morning, the manner of ministry. The manner of ministry. And we don't know exactly what all the people said. They probably said that Paul was abusing his authority, maybe calling him a tyrant or a dictator. But look at how he responds to that. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I love that illustration. What a beautiful illustration of gentleness. In my previous church, we had a couple whose granddaughter was born premature. And she made it. She was fine. She was, ended up being healthy. But she was only one pound, and she could fit her entire body on a dollar bill. Not every child is that small, but they all need gentleness, don't they? They need tenderness. And I love on Mother's Day, the Apostle Paul is honoring mothers here in our passage. He's saying of all the illustrations he could have used, he honed in on nursing mothers. How do you do it? 
when there's sleepless nights for weeks on end, crying all the time? How do you continue to show them gentleness? I think the answer's got to be you love them. They're your children. You love them. And Paul loved the Thessalonians. Here's a, a quote, a, a definition from one theologian on, on what gentleness is. He defined gentleness as the virtue of being tender and considerate, concerning the well-being of others instead of being severe, brusque, or hard. Is that convicting to you this morning? Goodness gracious, it's convicting to me. It breaks my heart how I am so hard sometimes with my children. I fall short of being gentle with them, but that's what we're called to do in our passage, even if you're not a mother. Surprise, surprise, Paul was not a mother. But he said he was like a nursing mother. He was gentle. So this is true for all of us. We are to be people of gentleness. But not a pushover. Isn't that interesting? Gentle but not a pushover. And we know that because look at verses 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Isn't it interesting that Paul uses a mother to talk about gentleness, but when he talks about exhorting, encouraging, charging, he talks about fathers. Why is that? Mothers, are you off the hook? Do you not have to exhort, encourage, charge your children? Oh, of course you do. I grew up with a mother who was great at this. I'm so thankful for her this day. I live with a mother, a mother of my children who does a great job at this. Everyone is called to this, but Paul hones in on fathers. Why? I think for a couple of reasons. One, this isn't so true anymore, but it used to be for thousands of years that children would father in the vocation of their fathers. If their father was a farmer, they would be a farmer. If their father was a merchant, they would be a merchant, and, and so on, and what happened was during that trade, during the passing on of the skill from one generation to another, it was countless hours together, living life together, and, and the father was pouring into their children, exhorting them, encouraging them, challenging them. And that's what we're called to as well. I, I love uh, the story when I was a kid, I, I played baseball for like one year, and I was horrible at it, like so bad. And uh, I was what you might call a late bloomer. I was small. I was scrawny. 
not strong at all. So surprise, surprise, I wasn't very good at baseball. And they threw me out at like outfield. I didn't get many balls. And uh, during practice, I would just sort of give it a, a half attempt. And my father would often exhort me, Jason, come on, get your head in the game. Strive, work hard. And my classic response was, Dad, it's just practice. It's not a game. It's just practice. And here's what he said. If I heard it one time, I promise you I heard it a thousand. Jason, you play like you practice. You play like you practice. And that's actually more profound than I originally gave it credit, not just in baseball. But what was my father doing? He was, he was challenging me. He was encouraging me. He was helping me be more than I would be on my own. And I think one reason Paul hones in on fathers in particular is God has made fathers the head of the household. Now, that's not politically correct at all these days. And yet, that's, that's what God has done. And I am fully aware that that is not the situation of every family. There are some families where their father is not a Christian. There are some families that don't have a father. There are some families that have a Christian father, but he refuses to take up the leadership that God has given him. If that's your situation this morning, please know that God's grace is way more than sufficient for your situation. But by and large, that is what the family is called to. Men, if you look at your family and you don't see this going on, this, this shepherding, this teaching, this exhorting, this encouragement, that's on you. And I say that not to judge you, but to encourage you. If you don't know how, the church is a resource. But take the God-given calling that God has given you to lead your family well. And you do so in the strength that he provides. So far from being a dictator, far from being a, um, what's the word, dictator, um, whatever, despot, you, you name it. Uh, the Apostle Paul was gentle. He was patient, he was kind, he was thoughtful, he, he challenged, he encouraged. This is supposed to be the manner of your gospel this day. God has given you a great task. Never lord it over others. Do so with humility, do so with gentleness, and do so for his namesake. I want to conclude this morning with just one brief last motivation. We've looked at the message of your ministry, the gospel, founded on the word of God. We've looked at the motivation for your ministry, that is to please God first and foremost. And we've looked at the manner of the gospel, love, caring, gentleness, 
the last motivation I want to give you this morning comes from verse 12, the last phrase. God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Oh, my friends, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior this day, please know that God has called you into his kingdom, into his glory. And you know what? He called you out of darkness into light only because Jesus Christ left the light of heaven to go into the darkness of the grave. He gave you eternal life, but only because Jesus took the death that you deserved. And then he gave you a glorious ministry, but that ministry that you have came at the death of the Son of God. Oh, friends, may we not take that lightly. And because of Jesus Christ, may our ministry be holy, pure, and undefiled by his grace. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, that is our desire. Our desire is to be faithful in serving you. I pray that you would help us, equip us, help us to be a student of your word, ground what we say and what we do and what we believe in your word. We pray that our motivation would be for you and your glory above all else. And I pray that our manner would be in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have received. Lord, this can only happen with the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, we pray, and may it all be for your glory, your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've just heard from the Word of God, and at the heart of the